Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A woman from Lima, welcome to Lima, Las Vegas, for Ghost Cousins with myself, Greg Spears, and now part of the Decent Family Podcast, and got a great podcast for you. It's in the second segment. Tristan Freeman does great work over there at Bussin' Brackets. He's out there in the great state of Pennsylvania. Is going to be joining me in the second segment. We're going to be talking about the coaching moves that we've seen with the Biggies. Going to be talking about Fran Dunphy getting hired on at LaSalle as well. And just some of the main storylines that we're going to be taking a look at this offseason. And just sort of my theory of when it comes to the transfer portal, you don't necessarily need to get a ton of guys, but you really need to hit on one guy that becomes a big contributor like we wound up seeing with many of the teams that made deep runs this season in the NCAA tournament, so we'll have that chat. Wound up seeing a couple coaching hirings and saw a lot of movement in the transfer portal on Tuesday, so we're going to be recapping that in the final segment, and I always do love to be able to answer Twitter questions on this podcast. You've got one or two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at gunit underscore d1. Keep in mind, letters am. They mean does not matter, so as per usual, please send these into the timeline, and the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast podcast via that five-star review. I know that a few of you guys have asked me for my take on way too early top 25s, futures plays that you can make right now, and the best thing that I can tell you right now is I know that I'm a little bit different from most. I'm not necessarily a futures guy. I'm a game-to-game better, but even if you are someone that winds up scouring the futures market, let some of this transfer portal news, these NBA draft decisions wind up just taking form before you wind up firing in on anything. I know that you always want to get the best of the number, but you'd be better off waiting at this point on anything. I mean, whether you like Gonzaga, whether you like Arkansas, whether you like Kentucky, North Carolina, Creighton, list goes on and on because I, mean, I do think that we can at this point make an assessment as to some of these top 25 teams, but we're already at right around 1,150 players in the transfer portal. There's at minimum going to be 500 others that wind up entering. A lot of these guys are going to be making their moves within the next few weeks. 
unless if you've got really good intel on a program that you know that they're bringing back everyone or they're just going to be landing some big giant whale of a transfer, one of the top 25 recruits that are still out there, they're going to be going that way. Just hold off for the time being because these numbers are not going to be moving a whole heck of a lot here in the offseason. Meanwhile, it could wind up plummeting if you wind up having the wrong guy decide to enter into the transfer portal. You wind up having someone that you think is going to be coming back to school decide that they are either going to A, stay in the NBA draft, or B, enter into the transfer portal. I just feel like you're playing a high-risk, low-reward sort of scenario, and even if you do wind up getting good return on value with regards to that futures play, like Gonzaga throughout much of the preseason was right around 8-10-1, to 10 to 1, you didn't really get a chance to hedge it because with the way that the matchups wound up playing out in the NCAA tournament, Gonzaga goes on the Sweet 16, so it was a case in which, yeah, you wound up beating the closing number a little bit, but... You didn't even really get a chance to edge it, and you didn't wind up cashing a ticket. So I think the best thing you can do with regards to the futures market, Sam Pat, let some of these rosters become a little bit more known because there's just way too many unknowns to really advise a play on anything. So that's just the little piece of advice that I will give you. And on this podcast, it is to make you a little bit more informed about these moves, keep you updated on all of it. So I'm going to do my level best to do that and going to try to get on great podcast guests all throughout this offseason. And Tristan and Freeman over there at Bus and Brackets. He certainly fits that bill. We're going to be chatting with him next about some of the moves that we're going to be taking a look at this college basketball offseason, some of the coaching hirings that we've seen as well, and how it's going to be elevating some of these programs as well. That's up next right here on Coast to Coast Suits with myself, Greg Peterson. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. 
Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back in Las Vegas. With myself, Greg Hughes, and now a part of the VC Family Podcast, and 
It is great to be joined by our guys as we head out there to the great state of Pennsylvania, and that's where we find our friend Tristan Freeman. He's over there at Fanside. It's Bustin' Brackets. Here we'll follow him on Twitter at HoopsNut351, a guy that all throughout the college basketball season did a great job of covering it, and this is one of the best at being able to gauge all these off-season moves as well. This is a man that he joined me a lot last year during the off-season, and my friend, it is great to have you back aboard. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on in the official first day of the college basketball offseason. Yep, and let me tell you right now, there's going to be a lot of way-too-early top 25s that come out. There's going to be a lot of takes the this next week or two of people saying, oh, this team is going to win it all next year and everything like that. And then it'll probably die down for a long time after that. But with that said, when it comes to taking a look at this next upcoming season, I think that we can get a gauge of some of the teams that, regardless, are going to be solid. Teams like Houston, Arkansas, Creighton. I think that we can all agree these are going to be teams that are going to be ranked when it comes to the beginning part of the season. But I think that it's just so important to take a look at the transfer portal these next 45 days and these NBA draft decisions because I do think that there are a few teams that, regardless of how these decisions wind up going, they're going to be in relatively solid shape. But I think right here, right now, is where a lot of the chemistry and the makeup of these championship teams is going to be coming to the forefront. Yeah, and there's already players being linked elsewhere. You know, the the biggest name early on was Imac Fardoz, who was reportedly linked to Gonzaga in, in Kentucky early on, apparently. Could be going to Texas Tech in Iowa. And then you have huge names such as Mark Sears of Ohio and, and now Johnny Bruma of Moorhead State, who reportedly is a potential go to Kentucky, depending on what, Oscar Tshibwe does. So we're already heavy into the transfer portal, and that's before a lot of the players who was in the NCAA tournament have time to reevaluate their options. And I wouldn't be surprised in the next week or so we see several more big names enter the mix. Yep, absolutely. And what we're noticing as well is that a lot of the major head coaching vacancies have been filled. Guys like Sean Miller going to Xavier. Dennis Gates going to Missouri, all the SEC hires, list goes on and on. A lot of those have been made. We've still got a couple smaller jobs that are still out there in the open, but I think it's very important to gauge the players that were at these places in which these coaches wound up taking the new jobs. Like, for instance, San Francisco, I expect a couple transfers there with Todd Golden going to Florida. We have already seen it with LSU and Murray State. A few of the racers have followed Mr. McMahon over to LSU. Got to think that with so many players from Cleveland State entering into the transfer portal last few days, at least one of those guys is probably going to be going to Missouri. I think that this is something to take a look at as well, because we've noticed with coaches like Steve Forbes, I think is really the good example of this. Guys that wind up following their head coach, they're able to have success at that higher level. And these coaches that they wind up taking over some tough jobs are able to get on track right away as a result. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see which players opt to stay with their teams because some of these teams that had coaching hires were fairly loaded. You look at a team like Xavier, you know, they barely missed out on the NCAA tournament. And depending on who they who can return, Sean Miller is going to be in a great position starting out. And then meanwhile, you look at someone like Dennis Gates in Missouri, you know, he, he didn't have a bunch of talent to start with. But now, you know, he's adding a lot of former Horizon League players to the SEC level, arguably the best conference in basketball, will that work out for him early on? So some of these coaches are off to better starts than others. Some were, you know, left with better rosters than others. I think you look at Todd Golton at Florida, 
all eyes are going to be on what Colin Castleton does. Because if he stays, you know, then you got quality big man to work with. If he leaves, then you're going to have to rebuild a front court in an SEC that has loads of quality forwards and centers. Oh, I totally agree with you. I do think that these NBA draft decisions, you mentioned it with Colin Castleton. Does he wind up going back to school? Does he stay in the draft? Or does he pull out of the draft and then enter into the transfer portal, which has become more and more popular last few years? That is going to be so critical to them, as we do have Tristan Freeman joining me on the podcast. And I'm not sure if you'd agree with this statement or not, but what I think is so critical this time of year is finding that one guy in the transfer portal that's able to pop because we've noticed that there have been some schools that they wind up taking in a bunch of transfers. Arkansas, obviously an example of this. I think out there in the ACC, Miami's a relatively fair example of this as well. We saw the success that they wound up having, but you take a look at the national title game that was played on Monday. Kansas, they really had one guy in the transfer portal they got that wound up being a difference maker in Rami Martin. Flip side for North Carolina, how Dawson Garcia does next year, that's anyone guess anyone's guess but among the guys that were out there on the floor on Monday it was really Brady Manic that was that guy and I really think that it's critical that whether you're a school that you wind up bringing in one or two transfers or you wind up bringing in five or six you just hit on that one guy that's able to be a top three top four type of player a guy that's able to give you double figures because I noticed that that's really been a part of the championship makeup of these teams the last few years. Yeah, I put out a tweet the other day. Early on in the transfer portal, fans start to panic whenever their teams who have like six or seven spots open aren't bringing in guys. It's like, you know, the transfer process is going to take a couple of months for most of these guys to eventually pick new teams. And you look at Wake Forest, they didn't get, you know, Alondis Williams until late May. And he was a guy that nobody was thinking about when he left Oklahoma because he was arguably the fourth or fifth best guard there. And then turn into the ACC player of the year. So I absolutely agree that it's about getting the right fit, not necessarily about quantity over quality. You just need to get the guys that fits with your roster and helps change the course of your team. You know, Kansas was missing a point guard and they got the point guard, Remy Martin. North Carolina was looking to rebuild his philosophy with front court and spacing. And Brandy Manick was perfect for that. Some of these teams only need one guy. And then some others are going to need three or four to be competitive. Like, as we talked about, Missouri, who's going to need several to climb up the SEC ladder. So it'll be interesting to see where these teams go, where these players end up, and whether or not they're going to the best fit or are going somewhere where they know they can get the most amount of minutes. I agree with you. And I was just talking about it. You really need to hit on that one transfer. And I think we wound up seeing a guy on Monday that can really be that difference maker because it feels like San Diego State has really been the modicum of this, a team that they don't bring in a ton of transfers, but the guys that they bring in, they wind up making a big impact. Malachi Flynn a couple years ago, no question Matt Bradley this year, winds up fitting in the fold, and they just wound up picking up Darion Trammell a few hours ago as we're recording this, and this is a guy that wound up absolutely tearing it up at Seattle, a guy that can be a little bit hit or miss from time to time from three-point range, a little bit of a ball-dominant player, but you just take a look at what he was able to do for a Seattle team that I would say exceeded expectations this last year. 17 points, five assists, four boards, about a 34, 35% three-point shooter, and that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about, trying to find that one impact guy, and I think that San Diego State has done it once again. I don't know if they wind up winning the Mountain West this upcoming year because I think that's going to be a good conference once again, but I think that they've done an absolutely masterful job of utilizing the transfer portal, not necessarily for like getting in 10 guys and overhauling the roster, but finding guys that will fit their system and finding guys that will immediately be able to produce. 
Yeah, the pickup of Tremel is huge for the Aztecs because they really only had one consistent scorer on the roster, Matt Bradley, who was a top-tier transfer from last year. So having him and Tremel, Tremel doesn't have to do too much because the Aztecs are one of the best defensive teams in the country. So if he only gives them thir- uh, 13 to 14 points a game, that's huge for the Aztecs team. So he'll be an upgrade over Adam Psycho and the other guards that they had this past year. So it's a big move for them. I think assuming David Roddy comes back for Colorado State, they'll be the preseason favorite. But, you know, Boise State, you know, loses a couple of key guys. Who knows what's going to happen with Wyoming? The, the Mount West is going to be just as formidable, although considering how disastrous their early tournament run, I think that they're going to have to, a lot to prove next March, and people aren't necessarily going to give them a ton of accolades throughout the regular season next year. Yep, I do think that it's going to be really fascinating to take a look at how the perception of the Mountain West is moving forward, and I think that you could say the same about the Big Ten, because if we're going to judge the Mountain West, I am someone from the great state of Wisconsin. you got to do the same for the Big Ten as well. as We do have Tristan Freeman about some brackets trying to be on the podcast, and I think that it is so interesting to look at these conferences that have slash have not had success in the NCAA tournament the last few years. I mean, the Big 12 has won each of the last two titles. It's very easy to say that they've had success, but I mean, even going into the NCAA tournament, I thought the Big 12 was by far the best conference at all of college basketball. Now, conference realignment is going to be changing a little bit of that because this is not going to be the same Big 12 moving forward, but certainly you wind up having a tremendous last few years from them. The Big 10, I mentioned them. A lot of teams in the NCAA tournament the last two years could not deliver them on West. They got as many wins as the two of us in the NCAA tournament this year. And what I think is so interesting about taking a look at the conferences that have slash have not had success in the NCAA tournament is I was just mentioning it a little bit earlier about these teams needing to find one or two guys that are able to make an impact as transfers. And I feel like with the ACC, the fact that they got three teams in the Elite Eight with Miami, their transfers melded together at the right time. North Carolina, a little bit of a new system, couple new guys. They wound up being able to peak late. Meanwhile, out there in the Big Ten, I think that because all these teams were relatively equal, they got used to beating up on each other. The Big Ten, out of all the power conferences, I would say has embraced the transfer portal the least of all of them. I think that that has hurt them a little bit. What have you really noticed with some of these conferences that have slash have not had success? Because I do think the ones that do a good job in the transfer portal, the ones that they're willing to adapt during the season, they're the ones that have been having the most success here recently. I think when you look at the Big Ten specifically, their lack of tournament success this year wasn't too surprising because I think a lot of people was jumping off the bandwagon throughout the year. The fact that Iowa turned into the betting favorite to make a run and then they lose in the first round, I think is emblematic of the Big Ten's issues. And part of it is a lot of the bigs can just be not necessarily exposed, but they can be isolated in ways that they can't do against one another because none of their bigs can really space the floor. I mean, you saw in Purdue's loss at St. Peter's, Zach Eady was basically unplayable at times in the second half because St. Peter's was just willing to just take him on screens and just shoot jumpers against them all gone. It's going to be interesting to see what the Big Ten does. There's going to, they're going to likely lose a lot of talent, especially in the front court. You know, the tournament's going to be all about individual runs so it's not necessarily should be a complete slander on the conference for their last success but I also think it's going to be interesting to see what the Big Ten does because the Big 12 is obviously the top of the world with the last two national champions the SEC's made a run and the ACC salvaged a little bit of respect considering their tournament run so the Big Ten's going to have to do something but I'm not sure looking at their 
way too early rosters, which of them have the potential to be a Final Four team next year? Because assuming the guys that leave, leave, there's going to be a lot of rebuilding in that league. I think that it's going to be fascinating to take a look at the Big Ten because Wisconsin was one of the top teams out there. And if Johnny Davis doesn't become Johnny Davis, that's a team that a lot of people were debating whether or not they'd be an NIT team. I think that might be a little bit too far, but certainly he was one of the most impactful players in all of college basketball. You take a look at what you wound up getting out of so many of these other teams, like a Rutgers, who they were able to peak a little bit late, but then when it came to the NCAA tournament, they weren't able to get things going. Purdue is a team that they have never really brought in transfers, so they sort of stayed stagnant throughout the entirety of the season. I was not a team that brings in a lot of transfers either, so I think that that's going to be very fascinating to take a look at moving forward. And I take a look at so many of these other conferences and you do notice more movement with regards to transfer portal and especially with regards to high coaching hires as well. And I think that a lot of conferences have leaped in front of the Big Ten as a result. I mean, in your neck of the woods out there in the state of Pennsylvania, you've now got Fran Dumphy who's going to be the head coach at LaSalle. Now, I don't think LaSalle's going to be by any means like an NCAA tournament team, but all of a sudden the Atlantic 10 gets better. We see it out there in the Big East. Thad Mata comes in at Butler. You wind up bringing in Sean Miller at Xavier, Shaquem Holloway at Seton Hall. All of a sudden, the Biggies, that is miles and miles better with regards to their coaching with those three hires. And I take a look at just what's happening out there in the Northeast part of the college basketball landscape in general. And I really like what I see both from the Atlantic 10 and also the Big East. Yeah, the Big East has been in a solid spot, but I think you can argue that Villanova has been carrying the league overall. The hires they've made, I mean, none of them, you could argue, have been bad. I think Xavier getting back Sean Miller, that Monaco and the Butler is probably the best the Bulldogs could have asked for. And then even Georgetown, you know, obviously they had a disastrous year with with, uh, Patrick Ewing. But reportedly, Nickelberry could be bringing in several former LSU players with them. If that happens, all of a sudden, that turns them into a tournament team, depending on who brings them there. So you're seeing the Big East get involved in the arms race, because right now, the Big 12 SEC has made a lot of noise. The ACC and Big 10 are going to have to make their own moves soon. And the Big East, you know, they're always going to be in a solid spot as a basketball-only league. But they're going to need more than Villanova to step up and cement their spot as one of the top four leagues. And this offseason, I think, is going to go a long way towards that. I agree with you. I absolutely love what the Big East has done here in the offseason. Then I mentioned it with the other hire that is out there in the state of Pennsylvania, as we do have Tristan Freeman of Boston Brackets joining me on the podcast. That'd be Fran Dumphy, a guy that... No doubt he knows the landscape of the Philly Five matchups here out there in Pittsburgh. So a little bit far away from Pennsylvania, but certainly within the state. I think that it's going to be really fascinating to see what happens with Dumphy because he wound up leaving Temple seemingly on good terms. And Aaron McKee, just I'm going to call it what it is, hasn't been able to get the job done, hasn't been able to really live up to the uh, Temple moniker the last few years. And now Dumphy, he's going to a LaSalle program that, They've just been down in the dumps for a very long time. Tom Gola has not been on campus since, like, my mother was born. That's a very, very long time. So LaSalle, a story program, but one that hasn't had a lot of success in a very long time. I do think that it's going to be solid for them, and I do think that it's going to shake up the landscape of both the Atlantic 10 and just the recruiting base out there in the state of Pennsylvania in general, because where you are has a lot of great recruiting in general. I do think that Dumphy is going to be able to command a little bit of respect right from the get-go. Yeah, we've talked about the Big East having a successful offseason when it comes to coaching hires. The A-10 has been very good as well. We talked talked about Fran Dumphy. You look at 
Frank Martin go into South Carolina. That's a big hire for them. You look at all the other coaches who are there. They didn't lose anyone to the portal. And you look at the coaches who's already there. It's hard to find weak links in the conference. And that and that's going to make the conference even more competitive going forward. There's going to be a lot of rebuilding for several of these teams in the offseason. But it's going to be very interesting to see what happens in the next year because you have a lot of you know older coaches who know what they're doing, but maybe could be out of touch. And I think you have to wonder what is Fran Dunfrey going to do in transfer portal? And LaSalle, I think their goal is to, to be competitive for the next couple of years so he can give the reins to someone else. But if they don't get enough talent in there, they could easily finish in last place in the conference. And then that hire all of a sudden wouldn't make any sense because does it advance the program. Yeah, Ben, I mean, we even saw it out there in the conference this last season. Fordham certainly didn't wind up having an at-large resume or anything like that, but you notice that after their coaching hire, they certainly took some strides forward. Where you're at, Duquesne, they've got a long ways to go. They went 1-16 in conference, so I'm sure that you're hoping for brighter days ahead for them. St. Joe's, they wound up having a little bit of a rough year as well. Rhode Island, they wind up bringing in Archie Miller in the process, so it's going to be very fascinating to see what happens out there in the Atlantic time, because I would say in terms of at-large bids, they fell a little bit short this season, but I do think that bright days are on the horizon for them. And Tristan, I know that bright days are on the horizon for you because you do an absolutely great job of covering college basketball all throughout the season. You do a great job in season, but I mentioned it during the off season, you're one of the best in the business, keeping up with all these coaching moves, keeping up with the transfer portal, projecting forward as to what we are going to be getting. So let the good people at home know what you've got going on over there at Bus and Brackets for the next few weeks and how people can follow your work on social media and other platforms. Yeah, exactly. Recently, we put out our own way too early top 25 project, and that's on the front lines of, of the site. So if you want to check that out, and this is going to be going heavy into the transfer portal, look at guys who are cutting down their own list and looking at potential offseason storylines. We got a lot of players that are 50-50 with the NBA draft process. We have guys who can go just about anywhere. And there's still a few top-tier recruits open as well, thanks to the coaching carousel. So definitely check us out at, Fit, at Bustin' Brackets and check me out personally at HoopsNut351 on Twitter. Even though the season's over, the conversation never dies in college basketball. Oh, absolutely. When it comes to college basketball, bets that are won during the season – just being able to take a look at the makeup of these championship teams. That's done right now. Even though the games are done, doesn't mean that college basketball season is over. Just a little bit of a shift with regards to college basketball news. Just a little bit of a shift as to what's all going on in the world of college basketball in general is what's happening right now. And Tristan, one of the best in the business of being able to keep up with everything 12 months out of the year. So big thanks, Sam, for joining me right here on Coast to Coast Hoops, all part of the Visa Family Podcast. Coming up next, saw a lot of player movement and saw a couple coaching hires in college basketball on Tuesday. So I'll give you a little bit of a recap of what we wound up getting. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. 
As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. 
basically everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for Ghost to Ghost Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops, and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. And it is always a pleasure to get Tristan Freeman on. He does great work over there at Bussin Brackets, a guy that all 12 months of the year does amazing work being able to track everything that we've got in college basketball. So big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast to see what player movement we wound up getting in college basketball. On Tuesday, we wound up also seeing a lot of coaching moves as well. We're going to be diving into those a little bit more towards the end. But how about if we first take a look at what we wound up seeing at St. Peter's as you wound up having three key guards for this team enter into the transfer portal. Doug Edert along with Daryl Banks III and Matthew Lee. All these guys were critical to their success. Banks was the leading scorer of the team throughout the season. He wound up averaging a little bit over 11 points per contest. Now, none of these guys were necessarily statue suffers or anything like that. Edert was more of the sixth man for this team. 9.5 points per contest. Did shoot 88.5% of the free line, 41% from three. Banks, the third, wound up shooting more around 86% of the free line and right around 36.5% from three point range. And then with Lee, he wanted to give him the team right around seven points. Did wind up building out three assists per game, more of a 34% three-point shooter. That's going to put this team behind the eight ball for sure. We know that Casey Undefu, six foot seven combo player who wound up being a really good shot blocker, wound up looking at the transfer portal last season. Got to think that he might wind up doing the same. So saw a lot of movement on that front. So lots of losses for St. Peter's. You got to figure that at least one of these guys is going to be following Shaheem Holloway to his new job over there at Seton Hall. As Seton Hall, I think that they're going to be in for a relatively solid season. Georgia wound up losing a pair of guys in the transfer portal as well. Neither of these guys were really making much of an impact as Tyrone Baker decided that he's going to be entering into the transfer portal along with Cam McDowell. Both of these guys average right around one point per contest, so nothing really big there. Cooper Smith, he was playing this last season at Northwestern State for the good old Demons. He has decided that he is going to entering into the transfer portal. Wound up averaging five points per game. 
was limited to just two games due to injury, so not necessarily a guy that should be making much of an impact wherever he winds up going. Emmanuel White, he was playing at UTEP this last season. Guy that did wind up seeing a couple starts late in the season, but could never really find his footing. Six foot five gentlemen. Shot about 32% from three, two points per contest. He has decided that he's going to be entering in the transfer portal. Not something that is necessarily too shocking there, and not a guy that is going to be making too much of an impact. But Jake Stevens transferring from VMI, this is big. Six foot ten, two hundred and sixty-five pound gentleman that this year at VMI averaged nineteen and a half points, wound up throwing their three and a half assists, nine rebounds on forty-nine percent three-point shooting, and it wasn't a cheap one. He would take right around five threes per contest. Whoever winds up getting him is getting one of the most versatile players in all of college basketball. This is a really big deal, and you take a look at what he wound up doing away from home. The 14 true road games that he wound up playing in, he shot from three-point range 55.2%. This guy is absolutely terrific. Got to figure that the need for his services is certainly going to be out there. At a Power 5 level, I certainly don't think that he'd be averaging the north of 15 points per game that he did this last season, but he's a guy that can play at the Power 5 level, so very intrigued to see who winds up taking a shot there. Hunter Goodrick, he has decided that he is going to be going to Cal Baptist. Cal Baptist has been busy with regards to the transfer portal, as this is the second guy that they've already picked up here in the early going. The other guy that they bring in is Riley Batten, a six foot nine combo player that's able to shoot threes. Goodrick, a little bit more of a true post player, a guy that averaged 7.5 points, 7 boards, a guy that can shoot threes but doesn't necessarily shoot a ton of them. Only shot right around 46.5% in the free throw line, but if Daniel Aiken winds up leaving the fold for this team, they are going to need someone to do a good job down low, and I think that he could be a relatively good fit for this team. South Dakota was not necessarily an up-tempo team, but they were a very efficient team on offense, not so much on defense, so he fits in perfectly with the Lancers of Cal Baptist. It's going to be interesting to see what sort of fit this gentleman is going to be able to get as Deshaun Thomas, who was playing this last year at Coast Carolina, actually began his career at LSU, although he never really played for them. He has decided that he is going to be entering into the transfer portal. Never could really find his footing with this team. A guy that averaged only right around two points per contest in his two seasons on campus. Shot 90% in the free throw line this year, but that was due to a very small sample size. Six foot ten, 220-pound big man that is able to clog things up down low, but just could not really find it with the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers began his career more at the junior college level. So if he's able to find some minutes, he could be solid out there in like the MEAC, the SWAC, a very low conference, a big south, something like that. But just not a guy that it appears is cut out for major college basketball. Dre Davis, he decided to enter in the transfer portal as well. Louisville wound up having all sorts of issues this year. And Davis, I would argue, was one of the brighter spots for the team. Seven and a half points per contest now. A guy that only shot 21% from three-point range as a six foot five little bit more of a shifty guy, but you take a look at it, and towards the back half of the season, he was really able to come on for the team. Wound up not necessarily seeing a lot of minutes towards the early part of the season, but you take a look at what he wound up doing, and we're going to wind up putting this from the last game of January, the 29th on, so last 11 games of the season. Was a guy that was able to give this team a little bit more of something. Now, he did wind up shooting from three-point range only about 19% in that time span. It was a case in which wound up seeing some good playing time towards the non-conference portion of the schedule. January and December didn't see a lot of action, and then late wound up seeing a lot more action. So he was sort of a come-and-go sort of guy. The usage of him was very interesting, obviously, with what we wound up seeing out of Chris Mack. So a case in which if he winds up finding the right fit, I think that this could be very solid for a power conference team. R.J. Duart has decided that he's entering into the transfer portal as well. 
Guy that at Appalachian State, I just expected a little bit more from. He wound up being a relatively highly touted Juco guy a few seasons ago. Wound up giving the team two points, right around two and a half rebounds per game. A guy that's able to be relatively solid down low at six foot nine. Wound up being a little bit more of a defensive stopper and couldn't necessarily put it together. So he has decided that he is going to be entering into the transfer portal. A pair of gentlemen from Florian Ashel decided that they were going to be entering into the transfer portal as well. Victor Hart. This should make no impact whatsoever. He wound up having two points per contest. The bigger one out of these, that'd be Daniel Parrish. Parrish, this last season, just did not wind up putting up numbers, but he's a guy that I sort of had on my radar thinking that he would be able to boom for the team a little bit more. Wound up only putting up right around two and a half points per contest now. He shot 75% from the field, obviously. That was with any small sample size, but a guy that wound up showing some relatively good flashes when it was in high school, so going to be intriguing to see if there's a team that's going to be interested in his services. Marcus Williams, he wound up transferring from Wyoming over to Texas A&M, and he is back in the transfer portal. Sounds like there were some issues with him off the court. I'm not necessarily sure what these were, so I'm not going to speculate on them, but when I was at Wyoming two seasons ago, 2020-2021 season, one of the best players out there in the Mountain West. Wound up having 15 points, four assists, steal and a half per contest. Not a great three-point shooter, but shot 33% from three. This last year, shot 28.5% from three, eight points, three and a half assists, while his turnovers per game of 2.7 remained relatively stagnant. So you could tell that he just wasn't necessarily a great fit with Texas A&M, and when he was away from the program, the team wound up actually being able to pick up a little bit of seams. So in the right fit, he's able to be terrific. In the wrong fit, it could be a little bit tough. Javius McKinnis, one of the best players out there in the SWAC. Three-time SWAC Defensive Player of the Year. He decided that he's going to be going to Ole Miss. This is a match made in heaven. He was playing in the state of Mississippi before, and he should be able to come in and do a good job for Ole Miss defensively right away. A guy that's a little bit limited on offense, but... At Jackson State this last season, one of the better defensive teams, especially among mid-majors in all of college basketball. 12.5 points, 10.3 rebounds, 3 blocks per contest. Uh, he's a career 54% free throw shooter. You can't expect a lot there. Guy that is 6'7", 220, a little bit undersized, but this is a guy that's going to fight for rebounds. He is going to be a very good plus defender for Ole Miss. Ole Miss, it's very clear that in an SEC that involves a lot of offense, they are very willing to play slow. They're willing to play the glass game, and I think that he is going to be tremendous for them. Jenny Jezopatis, hopefully I said that one correctly, gentleman that comes in from the United Kingdom, was playing the last two seasons at Georgia Southern. He has decided that he is going to go to Maine, and I think that he instantly becomes Maine's best player. You take a look at what he did at Georgia Southern, the size here. Seven and a half points per contest. Guy that the last few years has shot 95.2% from the free throw line is able to give you right around a seal per contest. Shot right around 34-ish percent from three-point range. A guy that's six foot four has a little bit of size. That's very big for a Maine team that they actually played a little bit better on offense towards the back half of the season. It feels like Maine is trying to turn over a little bit of a new leaf with that regard. So this is very good for them. I think that this is exactly what they need, and I can see him being a double-figure scorer. So arrow up on Maine with regards to that one. Victor Rosa decided that he's going to be entering into the transfer portal. Played just six games this last season at Florida Gulf Coast. Was okay while he was out there. Was able to give the team five and a half points. Shot 35% from three-point range. Six foot five combo player. Going to be interesting to see where he winds up landing. A kid with potential, but just a guy that hasn't been able to get in a lot of reps these last few seasons. Elamir Dawes has decided that he is going to be transferring away from Clemson. And when I was at Clemson this last year, was able to be very solid for the team. Right around 11 and a half points per contest. Not a guy that's going to contribute a lot with regards to facilitating the offense, but a good plus defender. Steal per contest. Shot 40% from three-point range, so 
whoever winds up getting him is going to be able to get a solid player, and you got to figure that he's going to be able to stay out there at the Power 5 level and be a contributor on a Power 5 team. Darius McNeil, he has already been able to be a starter at the Power 5 level. Spent two years at Cal between the 2017-18 and 18-19 seasons and was solid when he was at Cal in all honesty. 11 points per contest. Not a guy that would necessarily flow your offense. A little bit of a shoot-first guy. He wound up attempting right around six series per contest while he was there. Shot 35% from three. Last two years, just could not wind up finding his footing. At SMU, averaged 7.5 points per contest, but shot 39% from three. Here in Conference USA this last season at UT San Antonio, it just clearly was not the fifth from. Shot 18% from three. There is no way that a guy that shot 35% from three on six threes per contest at Cal should be shooting 18% from three. UTSA is just a hot mess right now. Darius McNeely has entered into the transfer portal, probably trying to find any sort of a fit whatsoever because it just was not there. And whoever winds up getting him, I think that he's got a chance to be able to flourish for them. UTSA clearly was not the spot. So he is in the transfer portal. Jalen Butts just couldn't do a lot with Western Kentucky this year. He's in the transfer portal. You take a look at his 2019-20 season while he was over there at DePaul, and it was very solid. He wound up giving the team 10 points, 5.5 rebounds, chipped in there a little bit over a seal per contest. Not a guy that's going to start to floor or anything like that, but at Western Kentucky, the fit was not there for him. He did wind up missing the 2020-21 season, came back this year, just 4 points, 2.5 rebounds. Was a case in which Jamari and Sharp and company just were a little bit more better fits for Western Kentucky than he was. So he has decided that he is going to be entering into the transfer portal. Going to be intriguing to see where he winds up ending up. When it comes to VMI as well, I was talking about the big guy that wound up transferring out of the program. But you've also got Hunter Huff who has decided that he is going to be entering into the transfer portal. He was a SoCon all-freshman performer who wound up averaging 10 points and 2.5 assists per contest, split time as a starter and reserve, shot 38% for 3, 87.5% at the free line at 5 foot 10, a little bit undersized, but if he's able to find the right fit and he's he's able to help out with his ball handling a little bit as well. This could be very big for them. We were talking about it a little bit on the flip side with our good friend Tristan Freeman of Bussin Brackets in that we're seeing a lot of exoduses with these schools in which I wound up having coaching change and saw that with Cleveland State. Two of their top players wound up entering in the transfer portal on Tuesday in Des Moines Hodge along Trey Gomillion. Gomillion averaged 10.5 points four and a half boards, three assists, and was one of the team's best three-point shooters, was able to bury 40% of his threes. Hodge was one of the better defenders that you were going to find at a mid-major level. 15 and a half points, 2.2 steals, a guy that from three-point range shot right around 34% from distance was really able to pick up steam towards back half of the season, and only a turnover and a half per contest. He was a Horizon League all-performer, both overall and on defense, a guy that wound up having a little bit of a rough go of it at the beginning of the season, but you take a look at what he was able to do January 23rd on, so you're pretty much taking the final 15 games of the season. Average 15.5 points, 2.5 steals, shot right around 34% from 3, so a guy that's really able to stuff the stat sheet. Both of these guys are going to be very much wanted on the transfer portal. This guy was wanted on the transfer portal, and he's going to be able to help out a Conference USA school as Austin Crowley, who wound up averaging 5.4 points per contest this last year at Ole Miss. He decided that he is going to be staying within the conference at Southern Miss. Not often that Southern Miss is able to land a transfer like this. Crowley wound up seeing 11 starts this last season. Not a guy that's going to be a tremendous scorer, which is still something that Southern Miss is lacking, but going to be a plus defender, 5 points, 2.5 assists per contest. Guy that shot 86.5% the free line and 35% from three, so instantly he's better at shooting than darn near anyone else on the roster. That is going to be able to help them out immediately, so that is a very good get for Southern Miss. 
six foot five combo player that if he's able to come in there, give them any form of defense because in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis, Southern Miss, one of the worst in all of college basketball. That's going to be an instant upgrade. Saba Gabrilia has decided that he is going to be entering in the transfer portal this last year at Georgia Tech. Was a little bit of a contributor, right around two and a half points, two and a half boards per contest. If he winds up going down to a little bit of a lower level at seven foot one, 250 pounds, he should be able to see a lot of good minutes immediately. I think that he's got a chance if he winds up going down a level to really be a dominator in that conference. If he winds up staying at the Power 5 level, probably going to be staring at the same role that he wound up having at Georgia Tech, just being a little bit of a limited gentleman. Jack Forrest, he is hoping to see a little bit more playing time with Bucknell. The last two years, he was at St. Joe's, and at St. Joe's during the 2020-21 season was actually a very good score. 10.5 points, steal per contest, shot right around 34% from three-point range as a 6'5 combo player. This last year, wound up averaging more like three and a half points per game, shot 25% from three-point range, saw a massive fall off. Bucknell, a team that they were really bad on defense, they were only somewhat bad on offense, they needed a little bit of something, they should be able to get a good score on Jack Forrest. I think that he's going to be able to put up double figures with the bracket bus and bison. Dan Oladapo, he wanted transferring from Oakland to Pittsburgh this last offseason. Clearly, that was not working out as why he was with Oakland during the 2020-21 season was very good for them. Averaged 13 points, 9 rebounds, gave the team a seal per contest. Not a versatile guy, but a guy that could really jam things up down low. All-Rising League performer. This last year at Pittsburgh, 3.5 points, 2 rebounds, saw limited minutes. So, he's going to be going to NC Central where I think he's going to be tremendous. I think that NC Central was just really lacking a little bit on the glass this season. They bring in Oladapo. That winds up really being able to sure things up. NC Central, one of the best teams in all of college basketball, being able to generate turnovers. Now you've got your rim protector in there. Great fit all around. He should be able to see great minutes immediately, and that should really be able to help them out. So a very good fit there. We were talking about it with our good friend Tristan Freeman of Bus and Brackets. Darian Trammell has decided that he is going to be going to San Diego State, and he immediately is going to be a serve for them, and he is immediately going to be able to help out their offense. San Diego State, tremendous on defense, top five team with the guards points a lot on a per possession basis. They needed a little bit more offensive pop, and Trammell is coming from a Seattle team that's in the top 50 themselves in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, and this guy was able to just completely stuff the stat sheet for them. You want to contributing 17.5 points, four boards, five assists per game. Guy that is not necessarily a prolific three-point shooter, but compared to what San Diego State does have, right around 34.5% from three-point range, that'll fly a career 84% free throw shooter as well. So I think that he's going to come in. He's going to be instantly a good number two scorer to Matt Bradley if he winds coming back in. I think that that could be a very good combo. So I think that that was probably, out of all the transfers, the most impactful one of the day. And I think that it's a case in which we were talking about it with our good friend Tristan Freeman. You just need to find that one really good transfer, and I think that they found that really good transfer. B.J. Shaw, he has decided that he is going to be transferring away from UC Davis. Just completely injured this year. This last year, the 2020-21 season, was able to give UC Davis right around four points, three rebounds per game. He's a guy that I think could be a little bit of a contributor, six foot six combo player that doesn't necessarily bury threes, but it would be a good plus defender, so going to be interesting to see where he winds up going. Christian Agnew, who wound up spending the last few years at UTEP after beginning a career at North Alabama. He has decided that he is going to be transferring a guy that 
at North Alabama for two years, was a starter, a guy that at North Alabama averaged 12 points, 3.5 boards per contest. This last year at UTEP, just couldn't wind up seeing the floor very much. 4.5 points per game, his three-point shooting percentage these last two years, well, it wound up clocking in right around 24.5%, a 79% free throw shooter, but certainly wound up having his struggles with regards to the offensive side of things. Inside that he is going to be entering in the transfer portal with the right fit. I do think that he is going to be able to refine a little bit more of his old form. So we're going to see what winds up happening there. This is someone that was relatively buried on the bench. Hanji Tamba, who was playing at Tennessee, did not wind up seeing the floor this last year. A recruit that they were hoping for a little bit of something out of. He decided that he is going to be entering in the transfer portal. And Noah Williams over there at Washington State, he has as well for Noah Williams. 2020-21 season was very good to him. 14 points per contest. Guy that was able to give you three and a half boards. Shot 38% from three. He had some off-the-court issues this last year. And on the court, he just wasn't great. Nine and a half points per game. His turnovers wound up being reduced a little bit more, but the ball was out of his hands and he couldn't find a shot. Shot 26% from three-point range. A guy that in the right system, I think, could be a relatively solid player. So we're going to see where he winds up landing, but... He has decided that he is going to be entering into the transfer portal. And then another gentleman from UTEP in Jorel Satterfield decided that he was going to be transferring as well. Satterfield wound up having a relatively solid year this last year. Wound up starting in 19 games, gave the team right around six points per contest. A good designated three-point share for them. Shot 43.5% from three-point range and really was able to pick up some steam towards the middle part of the season. You take a look at it from, we're going to call it December 16th through January 23rd. So middle half of the season, team was dealing with some COVID, so he wound up seeing some starts in that stretch. He wound up being able to give the team 12 points per contest and shot 52.5% from three on five and a half threes per game. And then inexplicably after that, so you take a look from January 27th on, Guy wound up seeing no playing time in the team's final 15 games. You want to give him the team two points per contest. So it was very intriguing to take a look at his usage. If they let him fly, if they let him be able to get some minutes, I think that he could actually be a very good cock. He has decided that he is going to be entering into the transfer portal. Josiah Strong, well, he is one of the stronger members of the transfer portal. He is going to be in there. A guy that, while he was at Illinois State this last season, a team that they're going through a coaching change as well, was able to be very good. 26 starts this last season, 11.5 points per contest, shot 41% from three-point range, 3.5 boards, 6'3", a guy that's able to come in, give you some instant scoring, a guy that is okay on defense, wouldn't call him great, wouldn't call him terrible, so certainly a guy that out there on the transfer portal is going to be very much wanted. Elvin Gilroy, who just couldn't wind up finding a lot of minutes for Vermont this last season, only about a point and a half per contest. He has decided that he is going to be entering into the transfer portal, actually came out of high school with a little bit of fanfare, so perhaps if he winds up finding the right fit at a lower school, could be able to give you some quality minutes. Kobe Clark, he was a walk-on at Georgetown, really didn't see a lot of minutes. He's not out of the fold, not really a shock there. Jerome Sanzu, who was playing at St. Bonaventure, is in the transfer portal as well. Clear that the Bonnies are trying to put all their chips in the basket of bringing back their starting five because Sanzu, who wound up having six total points during the season, he was the number nine scorer for the Bonnies. They had no depth whatsoever, so it's going to be intriguing to see if they can get 
anyone whatsoever to come in off the bench and spell some minutes for them. Mississippi Valley State's very own Devin Gordon has decided that he is going to be entering in the transfer portal as well. So last year at Mississippi Valley State did shoot 34.5% from three-point range, was able to give the team 11 points per contest. Someone had to score at Mississippi Valley State. It just so happened to be he was part of the one of the least efficient teams in all of college basketball, but he himself, not necessarily a bad player. If he winds up going up a little bit of a level, he could be someone like a Cameron Cunningham who wound up playing at Fordham this last season and was able to be a solid contributor for them. So he decided that he is going to be entering in the transfer portal. And then when it comes to coaching news, we wound up seeing some significant moves as you wind up seeing Western Michigan hiring on Michigan State assistant Dwayne Stevens, who's got a lot of coaching experience. Problem is, he's never really been the Ed guy at the very least for a very, very long time as he spent 19 years as an assistant for Tom Izzo guy that knows the area, so that's very good, and they really needed a little bit of an overhaul. As last two years, Clinton Bates was unable to really do much for this team, and it's been a team that has been miring a mediocrity out there in the MAC for a very long time. A guy that should be able to recruit the area quite well. I think that this is a relatively solid hire for Western Michigan. Western Michigan, just in general, a very tough job. So you wish him absolutely nothing but the best. I'm sure that he is going to do his absolute finest. I just think it might be a case in which the job itself is just very, very difficult. This, I thought, was a very good hire as well. As Georgia State may have hired on the gentleman that led Xavier to an NIT title in Jonas Hayes. Hayes was spending a lot of time as an assistant the last few years at Xavier. He wound up having Georgia State wind up losing Rob Lanier a few days ago to the SMU job. And Jonas Hayes, well, he doesn't have much of a track record as a head coach other than the NIT appearance, but was able to do a very solid job there. Actually played his college basketball career at Georgia, spent a little bit of time as an assistant at Georgia, so knows the area relatively well. A solid recruiter and a guy that we found out in the NIT does a better job with the X's and O's than Travis Steele, so I think that he's going to instantly come in, do a solid job. If you watch Xavier during that NIT run, they were playing a little bit more up-tempo, so I do think that he's going to come in. Georgia State, a team that traditionally likes to take a lot of threes, a team that traditionally likes to play relatively quickly. I think that they are going to be continuing that, and I think that it is going to be a very solid hire for them, so he has decided that he is going to be going to Georgia State, very well-deserved in my opinion. And then current Iowa State assistant Danielle Robinson has decided that it looks like he's going to be becoming the head coach over there at Cleveland State. It is not quite confirmed, but it seems to be on the cusp of it. Robinson is revered by many people as one of the best recruiters in all of college basketball. Big reason why Iowa State was able to have the turnaround that he did this last season. Going to be sort of the opposite of what we wanted seeing with Cleveland State over the last few years because Dennis Gates never really got those blue chip guys wound up going down to the junior college level and was just a heck of an X's and O's guy. Robinson, one of the best recruiters that you're going to find in all of college basketball. So I do think that he'll have success if he does wind up taking the Cleveland State job. He wound up being an Ames for a very, very long time, Mr. Robinson did, was actually there when Greg McDermott was there at Iowa State, pretty much has been there since 2008, has done a great job of helping make Hilton Magic what it is, but a guy that has just been very much a long-time assistant, so looks like he's going to be becoming an ad coach and a guy that I think is going to be able to have success if he does wind up landing this job. And then Fran Dunphy wound up getting the coaching job at LaSalle, which 
I think that this is going to be a good short-term move for them because Fran Dunphy, he's up there in years. He's 73 years old, but he certainly knows the state of Pennsylvania. Wound up having a lot of success at Temple. Wound up having a lot of success in the Ivy League as well. And let's call it what it is. LaSalle needs a little bit of an infusion of talent. It just has been a very bare last few years ever since they wound up having a little bit of a coaching regime change. You could tell that Ashley Howard just was not cutting it. They wound up going 5-13 and this year. A team that wound up doing an okay job in the transfer portal, bringing in a guy like a Josh Nickelberry, but they need a little bit more sizzle. There's a lot of talent out there in the state of Pennsylvania. Now I think LaSalle is going to be a little bit more equipped for going after it. So I do think that this is an overall very good hire for them. And when it comes to NBA draft decisions, these have been cooling down a little bit more. I do think that they're going to be cranking back up once again, but with that said, the biggest one that we did by him seeing is Odie Stoney decide from Arkansas that he's going to be entering into the NBA draft. I think much like the case with Jalen Wilson, who wound up declaring about 48 hours ago, he is also going to be leaving his eligibility open. I am not sure on that though, but while I was at Arkansas, averaged 10.5 points, 5 boards, shot 29% from 3, good defender, and in his last year at Pittsburgh two seasons ago, right around 14.5 points, 6 rebounds per game, so was a little bit more of a role player this season with Arkansas at 6'6", has relatively solid size, and here's a shocker, Jabari Smith is declared for the NBA draft. He's going to be a top five pick. We all saw this one coming. Guy that's saying 6'10", that's Abel Berry threes. Guy that just completely filled it up for an Auburn team that was one of the best out there in all of college basketball this season. 17 points, 7.5 boards. We all knew that this was coming. Now it becomes for Auburn. Where do they wind up going from here? Because Walker Kessler has decided that he is going to be declaring for the NBA draft as well. So pretty much broken news that wound up becoming confirmed on Tuesday. And if you do like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Soups, you are able to subscribe wherever you your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Citra, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast? Because, well, now that the regular season is over, we've got a lot of time to be able to address these. You've got one or two ways to be able to those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at gunit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letter CM, maybe it does not matter. So as per usual, please just send these into the timeline and the other ways find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. them from there, you're able to fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Big thanks to Tristan Freeman of Bustin' Brackets for joining me in the last segment. And I'll be coming at you guys every single day throughout the season to take a look at these transfer portal news, breakdown games once those wind up getting back into full swing. So that means I'll be coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.